Lord, we, we thank you that you indeed are our God. You're not a faraway, distant, unloving, but a personal, intimate God that we can have fellowship with. So Lord, I just thank you and praise you that you love us so much and that, Lord, we can have fellowship with you, the creator of the universe. And Lord, I ask as we go to your word right now, that you'd be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what you would say to us tonight. None of man and all of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I guess as I knocked my water over last time, they're not going to bring me a stool anymore. If you're here on Sunday, I just blasted my water on the ground, so I think they don't trust me anymore. All right. You have your Bibles. Turn to Joshua chapter 15, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. I do want to encourage you guys, if you're praying about going to the men's retreat, it's in February. You'll be blessed. Uh, going to be five local Calvary pastors going to be speaking, and the local worship team is going to be leading worship. There's 12 different Calvaries that are coming. There's a limited amount of space, and it's really first come, first serve. I know in the past, you've been able to wait to the last minute and get in, but that won't happen this time. I'd just love to see as many of our guys be able to make it as possible. Somebody trust me. Praise the Lord. All right. Thanks, bro. All right. Joshua 15. Tonight, we're going to continue looking at the children of Israel as they head into the land of promise. And by the way of quick review, we know that this is a picture of the Spirit-filled life. In the Old Testament, whenever you see an Old Testament picture, it always points to a New Testament principle. And as we know that the children of Israel were in Egypt, they were in bondage, a picture of being caught in the world. And then they were delivered out of bondage through Passover. Passover being a picture of the cross, the blood of the Lamb and the shape of the cross. They were delivered out of bondage. They went through the Red Sea, a picture of, as it says in Corinthians, a picture of water baptism. Then after going through the Red Sea, they received the law on Mount Sinai. They then began to head toward the land of promise, the land that God had promised unto them. We know what happened, though, when they got to the land of promise, that sadly, they were faithless instead of being faithful. We'll talk more about that as we look a little bit more at Caleb tonight. And they refused to enter in, and that entire generation wandered in the wilderness, dying outside of God's highest. A picture of so many Christians, born again, maybe even baptized, that outward statement of an inward change, but yet not living the Spirit-filled life, not experiencing all that God has for us. And so then we saw that there were two and a half tribes that were satisfied just staying outside of the land. Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh. And again, a picture of those who are satisfied just outside of God's highest. You know what? I got my get out of hell free card. I'm going to heaven. I just want to camp out right here. Right where it's easy. Lord, I don't want to be stretched in my faith. I don't want to have to step out. I just want to rest here. Well, then we know that the nine and a half tribes in obedience to God, crossed over the Jordan. The Jordan being a picture of baptism of the Holy Spirit. And now they're in the land of Jordan. They begin to conquer that land. And so that's what brings us up to tonight's text as we're going to see them dividing up the land to the different tribes. We'll begin tonight and looking at those tribes. But last week, I want us to remember a man by the name of Caleb. Because we're going to look at him more again tonight. And two weeks ago, actually, I was sick last week. Appreciate those of you who sent me cards and prayed for me. God, God's faithful, and I appreciate that. But we want to remember this man, Caleb. We're going to look more in depth at him tonight. But remember that he was a man that was one of the two spies that came back and said, let's go into the land. And because of his faithfulness, he was one of the two people, him and Joshua, who's going to be able to enter in to the land when the entire generation passed away, including Moses. Moses had misrepresented God, if you remember. He was supposed to speak to the rock. He smote the rock, the rock being a picture of Christ. It's only supposed to be smote once, a picture of the cross. We don't put Jesus up on the cross anymore. Amen? It's finished. And now we simply speak to the rock. We speak to the Lord. We don't crucify Him anymore. That's why, and again, just on a secondary note, a thought, that's why we shouldn't have Jesus hanging on a cross anymore in our jewelry. Amen? He's not on the cross anymore. He's a risen and a living Savior. So we know that Caleb, this this 85-year-old man, as we're going to see again tonight, asked for the land of difficulty. And we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to that portion of the chapter. Now, if you've read ahead, there's a lot of names. There's a lengthy chapter. But you know what? It's interesting. And I'm just being transparent with you. Whenever I start to read a chapter, I'm going to go home tonight. I'll read what I'm going to teach on Sunday. I'm 
I only can do one message at a time. I'm not like some of these guys who can prepare 20 messages out. I'm just, I'm lame that way. I got to just do one at a time. I got to be focused on that one thing. And when I went home Sunday and read chapter 15, verse 20 to verse 63 is just a bunch of names if you haven't got there yet. And as I start to read it, often I'll read a chapter and think, how in the world am I going to teach this chapter for 50 minutes? There's no way. Well, when I get done studying tonight, I have more notes on this chapter than any chapter I've ever taught in my life. So I hope you don't have anywhere to go anytime soon. <laughs> but seriously, God's Word is so great, isn't it? And we need to understand that everything that's in the Bible is in the Bible for a reason, amen? And it's all in there, and we're not going to be able to look as in-depth at some of the things as I'd like to. But again, I want you to realize it's all in there for a reason. So when we enter in and respond to all that God has for us, know that it will produce fruit, but know also that there will be resistance that is waiting for us. So I titled the message tonight, A Godly Inheritance for the Next Generation. This is speaking mainly about Caleb. A Godly Inheritance for the Next Generation. We're going to see in verses 1 through 12, the boundaries of Judah's inheritance. The land that God had set aside for Judah. We'll talk about Judah. We're also going to see Caleb's great faith and how his faith inspires others. And then lastly, we'll look at the cities and tribes and villages within Judah's inheritance. Let's begin in verse 1, Joshua 15. A godly inheritance for the next generation, the boundaries of Judah's inheritance, all that God had given them if they would simply step out in obedient faith. Look at verse 1. So this was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah according to their families. Now remember that God had told them the way they were to divide up the land was to cast lots. Now this is the only time in Scripture that we see, well I shouldn't say that. It's one of the few times in Scripture where we see God telling them to cast lots. Most of the time God gives us clear revelation. Today we don't cast lots anymore. Amen? We're not rolling dice to figure out what God wants us to do. If I roll a seven, then I'm going to take that job. If I roll a four, don't do that. Amen? We have the Word of God in our hands. We don't need to roll dice. But in this case, this was God's plan, and it was mainly to keep them from being argumentative or fighting over if it was fair or not. So they had two places. They drew out the name of a tribe, and then they drew out what their land would be. And Judah was the first one that was given land in the land of promise. Now, why were they given the land first? Why Judah? Well, let me talk to you a little bit about Judah. Because Judah, the children of Judah, were the ones that we know would be, they would have the greatest descendants come from them. Who's a descendant? Who's a, the lion of the tribe of Judah? Who is that? That's Jesus Christ. David would come from the tribe of Judah. We also know when they went through the wilderness that Judah was to lead the way. And Judah means praise. And it's not by chance that praise led the way. Praise should lead the way. The reason we begin our services with praise is to draw us into the presence of Almighty God, to prepare our hearts. Guys, you were created to worship Him, amen? That's why you were created. You want to get a taste of heaven? Worship. You've heard me say it many times. We're not going to read our Bibles in heaven. We're going to have the Word of God, Jesus Christ, right in front of us. We're not going to share our faith because everybody's already going to be saved, amen? We won't have to go to work or anything else, but we will be worshiping in heaven. So you want a taste of heaven? Worship. And Judah means praise. It says in God's word, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. Judah also was the one who saved Joseph from death. You remember that they cast, Ju they cast Joseph into the pit or a cistern if you want to get technical. And they wanted to kill him. Remember, he was the coat of many colors. He was the favored son. He had had a dream that you're all going to bow to me one day. And you know what? If you're big, you tell your big brothers that, they don't like that. And they really don't like it when dad gives you stuff that they don't have. And then he comes out and they're like, there's dad's favorite son. Let's see how his coat fits him in the pit. And you know what? Let's just push him in there and let's put blood on it and take it back to dad and tell him he's dead. And we won't have to hear him talking about his dreams anymore. And we're bowing to you now. How's it down there, right? Well, Judah was the one that said, let's not kill him. Judah was the one that said, let's sell him into slavery instead. That's not too big of a step up, but it is a move in the right direction. Judah was also the one who later 
when they sent for Benjamin. You remember when they came into Egypt? And when they came into Egypt, the father, Jacob, did not want to send his son there. Because he was afraid they would all die. He had already lost Joseph. He wasn't going to lose Benjamin. And remember what Joseph said. You've got to bring Benjamin back or I'm, or I'm not going to help you guys out. You've got to bring him back. And so who was the one that was surety for Benjamin to Jacob? It was Judah. Judah said, I'll lay down my life for him. Later when Benjamin was caught with a cup. Remember that? They planted the cup in his stuff. Judah was the one that said, take me instead. Judah, constantly a picture of one who intercedes on behalf of another. That's a picture of Jesus Christ. Judah is leading the way. Judah also, we know, fathered a child by his widowed daughter-in-law who was posing as a prostitute. And we know that it's through that line that Jesus came. God can turn evil into good. And so Judah led the way. Judah's the first one that's going to get their inheritance in the land. Judah received a blessing from his father on his deathbed. It says in Deuteronomy, Hear, Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him at the head of the tribes victorious unto his people. So his name means praise. He saved Joseph. He was surety for Benjamin. He led the way through the wilderness. He led the way into battle. He had his father's blessing. He was the largest of the tribes. And through him came David and Jesus. That's why Judah is going in first. And Jesus, again, is the lion of the tribe of Judah. If you guys will remember when the tribes went out, if you guys were here and we taught that, each of the tribes had a banner that went before them, and on the banner of Judah was a lion. Again, pointing to Jesus Christ. And it says there, the border of Edom at the wilderness of Zin, southward was their extreme southern boundary. So the boundary of Judah and the land, they're going to have this, and I'll put up a map in a minute, they're, they're, they're going to have the southernmost portion of the land of Israel, of the land of Canaan, of the promised land. And their border is with the land of Edom. Edom is who? Who is that? Who knows? Esau, the twin brother of Jacob, who sold his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. Now that was a good trade. You thought you'd seen dumb trades in history, right? That's the dumbest trade ever. How about I give you a bowl of soup and you give me your birthright? And now Edom is camped outside of the land of promise forever and he borders, but he's not able to enter in. Why? Because he traded it all for a bowl of soup. Esau is a type of the flesh. Esau is a type of the flesh because he would rather have fleshly, temporal pleasure over eternal blessing. And that's the same thing that happens to you and I every day. Guys, every time we choose to sin, what are we choosing to do? We're choosing to feed the flesh over obeying the Spirit. It says in the wilderness of Zin. The word Zin means coldness. So the southern boundary is a cold place. Go ahead and put the map up if you could. Now, south of there, it says in verse 2, and their southern border began at the shore of the Salt Sea from the bay that faces southward. So Judah, as you can see, is the very bottom portion down here. And the, and the Salt Sea is also known as the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is truly dead. Those of you going to Israel with us, nothing grows in there. No plants, nothing, and you can't even sink in that thing. It's so salt heavy that you can't sink. You'd lay on, you can lay any way you want and you're going to float. And it's dead. Now why is the Dead Sea dead? It has an inlet and no outlet. Same is true for us, you guys. If all we do is get fed, 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 and we never bless or minister, we're going to die spiritually. We need to take what we've learned and give it away that we might grow. Amen? So Judah's down on the southern border. It says there in verse 3, They went out to the southern side of the ascent of Akrabim, passed along Zin, ascended on the south side of Kadesh Barnea, passed along Hezron, went up to Adar, and went around Karka. Now Kadesh Barnea is in the southern portion down here, and that's where they first entered in, the spies entered in. Remember they were camped out, and they went in to spy out the land? That was at Kadesh Barnea, which is in that southern tip of where Judah now dwelt. Verse 4. From there it passed through Asmon, and went out to the brook of Egypt, and the border ended at the sea. Again, now that sea is speaking again on the other side. The, the 
He's going all the way around the Dead Sea, and the border ends at the sea. The eastern border was the Dead Sea, and it's also the Jordan River. Now it says there, this shall be your southern border. The east border was the Salt Sea. Again, that's the Dead Sea. As far as the mouth of the Jordan, as far as the border on the north quarter began at the bay of the Sea of the Mouth of Jordan. The border went to Beth Hogla. Beth Hogla. House of Hogla. That's what Beth means, right? They passed north to Beth Araba, and the border went up to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. Now, Beth Araba means the house of the desert. So they're bordered along the desert. Again, those of you who go to Israel with us, you're going to see when you go down to the Dead Sea, you've never seen a more desolate place on this planet than the area surrounding the Dead Sea. It's as desolate as it gets. And that was the area surrounding where the tribe of Judah would be. Then the border, verse 7, went up toward Debir. We'll talk about that in a moment. From the valley of Achor, and it turned northward toward Gilgal. Gilgal, remember, was kind of their headquarters in the land of promise. And Gilgal was the place where they built the altar unto the Lord. And it was where the place that they prayed and sought God as soon as they entered in. Which is before the ascent of Adumim which is on the south side of the valley. The border continued toward the waters of Enshemesh and ended at Enrogel. Now this, we read this, and it doesn't mean a whole lot to us necessarily. We need to understand that for them, it would be like they said, Calvary Chapel, let me tell you where you're going to stay. Go up to San Francisco, and you take the border, and you go south, and you'll be very important to us. And not only that, because this was to be their land going forward. Not just for this generation, but generations to come. And we're going to see as we go through the text that sadly they missed out on a lot of God's blessings because they didn't understand that God gave them the land, but they needed to step out and and go get it. And God has given you and I gifts. And the gifts that He's given us, we must use them for them to be profitable. God can give you every gift there is, and if you just sit on your hands and you don't use them, what profit are they to the kingdom of God? God can give them all the land in the world, but if they don't go in by faith and take the land then what good is it? Now verse 8. And the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom. Now Hinnom is another word for that is Gehenna. Gehenna. What is Gehenna another word? What's it synonymous with? What's it synonymous with? Hell. Now it's interesting. This is a deep, narrow glen south of Jerusalem where the idolatrous Jews offered their children in sacrifice to the god Molech. And this valley became a common place for all the garbage of the city. And here there were dead bodies of animals and criminals and all kinds of filth were cast and consumed by a fire that was kept burning constantly. What does that sound like? Hell. And that's what this place was very much like. Again, God knows what He's doing when He names places and gives places a name. The place was named it long before it became faithful to its name. To the southern slope of the Jebusite city, which is Jerusalem. So they border on Jerusalem. We're going to talk about that in the very last verse. There are two tribes that border on Jerusalem. And God is going to give them an opportunity to go in to take Jerusalem. He's going to give both tribes an opportunity and they're both going to blow it. And it's really sad when we miss out on all that God has for us. It says there, the border went up to the top of the mountain that lies before the valley Hinnom, westward, which is at the end of the valley of Rephaim, northward. Now, the valley of Rephaim means the valley of the giants. And we're going to talk about that more when we get to verse 13. Now, it says there, Then the border went around from the top of the hill to the foundation of the water at Neptoah and to Ephron, and the border went around to Bala, which is kerjath Jerem. You've probably heard of that name before. And the name of that city means the city of Baal. Who's Baal or Baal? Remember Baal? Remember the story of Elijah at Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal. And they went there and he told them it's not going to rain anymore. And Baal was also the prophet that was supposed to, or the false god that was supposed to make it rain. And he went and said, you're serving the god of rain? Okay, let's find out about your god. It's not going to rain anymore. Got to like Elijah. And he kicks the Baal idols down on the way out the door. <laughs> kicks them down. And he leaves and it doesn't rain. So then they go to get him and he says, you know what, let's find out whose God is God. You pray to Baal, I'll pray to God, let's see what happens. And we know they began to pray to Baal and you got to love Elijah, he's got a great sense of humor. He says, surely your God is a God, where is he? 
Is he off hunting? At one point he says, is he taking care of his personal needs? He means, is he in the bathroom? Maybe he's in the bathroom. That's why he can't hear you. The prophet of Baal. So this land is where Baal is. The prophet Baal. And we know what happens. He prays. Fire comes down from the sky. All the prophets of Baal are put to death. You don't want to mess with Almighty God. Amen? Either for him or you're against him. It says there, so in the place where, where Baal was, verse 10, the border turned westward from, from Bala to Mount Seir, passed along the side of Mount Jerem on the north side, was his Chesaron, went down to Beth Shemesh, and passed on to Timnah. And on the border went out to the side of Ekron northward. Then the border went around to Shikron, passed along Mount Bala, that's a Mount Baal, and extended to Jabneel, the border that ended at the sea. The west border was the coastline of the Great Sea. That's the Mediterranean Sea. This is the boundary of the children of Judah all along according to their families. So they're the first ones that get to go in and they're told, this is your land. Now you need to go in there and take what God is giving you. And when you get there, were there still going to be enemies waiting for them? What's the answer? Yes. They'd gone and defeated the cities that there were still going to be individual pockets of the enemy. When we're walking in the center of God's will, it doesn't mean we won't face opposition. As a matter of fact, I guarantee you, you will. If God's using you in a mighty way, the enemy will be waiting for you. So we've seen the boundaries of Judah's inheritance, but these next seven verses is what I really want to concentrate on tonight. And that's Caleb's great faith that inspires the faith in others. I think I told you a couple weeks ago, if I were going to have any more children, I think Caleb would be on top of the, the, the name list. Because, man, I like this guy. I really like him a lot. Look what it says in verse 13. Now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. Now... I'm going to go back and review some of the stuff we talked about last time because I think it's so key. Within the land given to Judah, there was a part of the land that belonged to Caleb. Remember that when they went into the land of promise, they came back and God promised Caleb through Moses, I'm going to give you this land, Kirjath Arba, Hebron. That's going to be your place. Now remember, Kirjath Arba means place of the four giants. Now, 45 years have gone by. They've wandered in the wilderness. They've defeated the armies. They've been fighting for five years in the land of promise. They're about to cast lots to see who gets their land. And up comes 85-year-old Caleb who says, Wait a minute, Joshua. Remember what God promised? I get the land of the giants. Now, 85, I'm thinking condo by the Mediterranean. Amen? I'm thinking give me the, you know, the, the beach house on the Sea of Galilee, not the rough, high, difficult land filled with giants, but not Caleb. Caleb, 85 years old, was not ready to retire. Caleb said, I'm still breathing. God's not done with me. Let's get after it. And God, you promised I could have the giants. I want them. You got to love Caleb. Amen. 85 years old was not going to back away. It had 45 years had passed. Since he went into the land. Remember how he came back with Joshua. And they had these grapes with them. You have two guys with poles holding grapes. Those are some big grapes, right? I imagine the size of bowling balls, right? You bring out the cluster of grapes with you. And you get there. And ten guys are going, yeah, it is a land flowing of milk and honey. But there's, gra- there's giants there. We're grasshoppers to them. They'll kill us. So we're not going to go in. And there's Joshua and Caleb going, let's go get them. Our God's bigger than them. Let's go tear them up in Jesus' name. All right? It wasn't Jesus' name yet, but in the name of Almighty God, let's go get them. Now, they didn't go in because they listened to the ten whiners instead of listening to the two faithful men of God. And often that's about the right proportion. Amen? You got about five times as many people moping and whining and complaining. And we had three million whiners wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. Great church for Moses to pastor. Right? Three million whiners want to go back to Egypt. And here he says, look, God said, let's go. And as we talked about last time, I know I'm repeating some of this, but that's okay. Because I think it's so key. Remember that Anak, this land of the Anakim, what he asked for, means strong, thick neck. 
I want the land of the strong, thick necks. I want the land where I have to climb straight up to get there, and Lord, give them to me, you promised. And too often we want the land of the rocking chair. We want the land of the tall green grass and no opposition. But you know what? Should, we should be like Caleb, that no matter how old we are, as long as we're breathing in and out, God still wants to use us, and may we not back away, but may we be excited to say, Lord, put me on the front lines, don't put me in the retirement home, amen? Lord, put me where I can be used. Lord, put me where I can see your hand move. He had seen the fruitfulness of the land, he had seen the giants in the land, and there was a choice to make among the people, to trust God and his word, or to trust the words of of men. May we trust the word of God over the word of men every time. In Numbers, Caleb speaks to them when they say, we're not going to go in. And he says, he quieted the people before Moses, let us go up at once and take possession for we will overcome it. Caleb spoke from his heart. It wasn't just an enthusiasm. He meant it. A lot of people say they'll do great things for God, right? But you find out the truth when the rubber meets the road and here comes the opportunity. And we're going to find that out about Caleb tonight. Because last time is when he said, I want the land of the giants. You know, you can imagine him walking up that hill, maybe going, maybe this wasn't the greatest idea. Getting tired, getting weary. This is a rocky, dirty, dusty, dry, hot place when I could have, you know, the Sea of Galilee. I mean, I was the only one that was favored. I should get my pick. And probably he could have had it. But we can see the man of God he is because he believed God's word and he said, I'm going to go in and I want the place where the enemy will be waiting for me. And he encouraged the people to go. I talked about this last time, how they said, They're, we're like grasshoppers to them. How are we going to fight them? And I, I quoted the verse in Isaiah where it says, he that sits upon the circle of the earth and the inhabitants there are like grasshoppers. See, from God's perspective, the giants are grasshoppers. Amen. And from the men's perspective, they were the grasshoppers. And he said, look, I see them through God's eyes, not mine. Guys, we're only going to have problems and struggles with the greatness of our difficulty if we don't realize the greatness of our God. Amen? You compare the size of your God with the size of your problems. And your problems should fade in comparison to the greatness of the God that we serve. Israel sadly heeded the word of the discouragers and went away but at the same time, God was going to be faithful to his promise. Caleb didn't forget. I said this last time, it bears repeating. Sometimes we pray for 45 minutes, and we want to know why God hasn't answered. Certainly, if we've prayed for 45 hours, God would have to answer. 45 days, 45 weeks, he waited 45 years, and when the chance came, he said, God, remember, you promised. I'm ready, I've been praying, I've been waiting, it's my turn. Lord, I've been waiting for you. Your timing is perfect. He's 85. He's still strong, vigorous, and vibrant. He's wholly following after God. He wants to finish strong. And you notice he didn't murmur and say, God, it's about time. I've been praying 45 years. What have you been waiting for? He didn't do that at all. Instead, he said, okay, yes, Lord. I trust and believe that your timing is perfect. God, give us patience like Caleb. Amen? Help us, Lord, to trust you and to know that your timing will be perfect. Not my timing, but your timing. Not my will, but thy will. I'm ready. I'm 85. I'm not reining in. I'm not pulling back. You know what? I, I told you this before. It, you know, that bothers me. Christians said, you know, you need, to, you need to rein it in a little bit. Show me one guy in the Bible that ever did that. You know, it's time to just slow down and relax a little bit. You've been serving God long enough. Just mellow out. Again, we stand before Almighty God on Judgment Day. We're not going to say, I wish I had done less for the kingdom of God. Amen? I wish I had set my recliner more, eaten chips, and watched football. It would be so much better. Hey, I, I do that sometimes, but I hope I'm doing more for the kingdom of God than I am doing that. Now, it says the name of the place, in verse 13, it's Kirjath Arba, and it means city of the four giants, Anak and his three sons. And its name would become Hebron. Hebron, bonus question. Who remembers two weeks ago? Hebron means what? Fellowship. Praise the Lord. Somebody knew the answer. God bless you. Now, here's the thing. I don't think she was even here two weeks ago. How come, <laughs> how come she knows and you guys don't? What's up with that? Now, and people say, Pastor Dave, why do you repeat yourself so much? This is why. 
Because you don't remember. Now, Hebron means fellowship. So it's interesting that the name went from being the land of the giants to the place of fellowship. Because often, it's in the place of difficulty where fellowship comes. It's in the place of the greatest trials and the greatest struggles that the greatest intimacy with God comes. Amen? When we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we're hanging on to the Lord with all of our might. Amen? It's a place of deepest intimacy, and this place where the giants once dwelt would now become a place of fellowship. Praise God for Caleb's heart. From giants and difficulty to a place of fellowship and rest, because it's in difficulty that I'm forced to look up. Now look what it says in verse 14. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there. Sheshai, Ahaman, Talmai, the children of Anak. The children of the thick-necked giant. And I love this. It says Caleb, it doesn't say Caleb sent his army forward to drive them out. I believe, and looking at it in its context, and looking at it in the original language, that Caleb did this by himself. He said, I've been waiting 45 years, you guys wait down here. I'm taking care of this. God promised I got to whip up on the giants. I'm going. And he went up there at 85 and got after the giants and chased them out of the land. Man, you got to love this guy. You got to love Caleb and his heart before God. He and Joshua had exhorted the children of Israel to go up and fight. And they walked away. But now he knew that it was finally God's perfect timing. He trusted God's word even over the world's greatest obstacles. Yet again, we see the faith and zeal of this man named Caleb, who had waited 45 years. He believed that he would defeat the giants one day. He exhorted the people to do so, and when the time came, he was ready. You know what, guys? When the opportunity comes to be used by God, are you ready? You know you get ready? Pray. Amen? Lord, use me today. Start your day that way. Lord, use me today. Direct my path. Bring divine appointments into my life today. Lord, give me an opportunity to share my faith today. Let me pray for my coworkers by name today. Lord, I'm looking. And when it comes, be ready. Amen? This was 45 years of ready. Caleb said, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go get after it, Lord. Joshua, don't be casting those lots till you give me mine first. God said, I'm going. And I love the heart. I love a church full of Caleb's. Amen? How quickly do you think all Santa Cruz would hear about Jesus if you had a few Caleb's around, amen? It's one thing to speak about your faith, to say what you believe, but it's yet another to put it into action. One thing to say that you'll go wherever God leads, and it's another thing to sell everything you have and move to Africa to be a missionary like Carrie Wheeler did from our church. Be praying for her, amen? Out of sight, out of mind, don't forget her. Pray for her. She's half a world away ministering to Muslims. Keep praying for her. Don't forget about her. It's one thing to say, Lord, I'll do whatever you say, and it's another thing to really do it. Amen? And that was the heart of Caleb. It's one thing to say you'll continue to trust God no matter what comes your way, and it's another thing to trust Him when you, when you get laid off. It's another thing to trust Him when you've been diagnosed with cancer. It's another thing to trust Him when one of your children is in trouble or walks away from God. It's one thing to say you'll serve God, and it's another thing to do it when the giants show up. Amen? It's one thing for Caleb to say, give me the land of the giants. It's another thing for Caleb to march in there himself and say, my God is bigger than any foe, any circumstance. I'm ready. I want to be a part of it. I want to see God work, and I want to be in the front row. Amen? You want to be in the front row of watching God work? Get ready for some trials. Amen? But that's where our growth comes from. Caleb got it. He understood that. He didn't want to miss out on it. One thing for Caleb to ask for the land of giants, and another thing for him to go in and defeat them. Giants are only scary if you have a small God. Amen? Amen. Giants are only scary if you've got a small God. You know what? It's interesting. Look who whips up on the giants. An old man and a young kid. Caleb and David. A, little, a young kid who seemingly didn't know any better. And an old guy who had nothing left to lose, right, from the world's perspective. But in both cases, there were men who heard from God, trusted God, and when everybody else was afraid, they were not. Why? Because they knew that God was in control. All it takes to be a giant killer is to have a God that's bigger than giants. Is our God bigger than giants? 
Is our God bigger than any circumstance, any trial, any difficulty, anything that the enemy can throw at us? Of course He is. And if we just remember that, our God is bigger than any foe that you're currently facing. If you're here tonight going through a difficulty, our God's bigger than no matter what it is. Amen? Finances, He's bigger than that. Health, He's bigger than that. An unsafe spouse, He's bigger than that. Whatever you're going through, our God is greater. Verse 15. Then He went up from there to the inhabitants of Debir. Formerly the name of Debir was Kirjath Sephir. Kirjath Sephir means the city of the books. Now this is referring to engravings that they had in either stone or brick. And more than likely, this was a city of higher learning about the occultic beliefs of the false gods of the land. So this was the... I don't want to say that. I'll get in trouble. I was going to say this is the UCSC, but I don't want to say that. Some of you go there and you love the Lord and God bless you, but... The place needs Jesus though, amen? Is that true? All right, and those of you who love the Lord... You can be Caleb up there, amen? All right. So this, this place of higher learning with the engraved books of all the occultic stuff and all these false gods, and it's interesting that its name was going to be changed to Debir. Just like the land of the giants would become fellowship, the place of the occultic books was going to become sanctuary. Man, I like that. The place where the enemy was once worshipped and once studied and once learned about was now going to be the place where God was honored. And you know what? Can God do the same thing to Santa Cruz? Absolutely He can. From a place of pagan learning to the place where the Word of God is going to be proclaimed. Now look at verse 16, because I love this verse. And, I, and you're going to read it and say, why would he do this? And Caleb said, he who attacks Kirjath Sefer and takes it, to him I will give Achish, Aksa, excuse me, Aksa, my daughter, as wife. Now, I was tracking with Caleb till he did this. Most of you know I got a teenage daughter, she's in the nursery, so I can talk about her, all right? But you know what? I'm a dad. And I'm thinking, he just whipped up on the giants. Why is he worried about a bunch of guys reading books? You know what I mean? Why can't he just go wipe them out himself? But Caleb is listening to God, and Caleb is a man who's going to give his faith away. You know what? If we do it all ourselves, no one else can grow. Amen? If we don't allow others to be put into that same difficulty, we don't allow others to go through the challenges of life. Was it because he suddenly felt old? Was it because he thought the enemy was too great? We know the answer to that is absolutely not. This man was promising his precious daughter to any man who had defeated city. He could have defeated himself. Why? Two reasons. I believe to inspire great faith in others. As they would have to learn to step out in faith and defeat the enemy themselves. Somebody's got to step up and say, I'm willing to go. And I'll fight the enemy. They're going to have to start to see their God as being greater than the enemy, just as Caleb had already found out. I also believe there's another reason. Not only was he a, a man of great faith who wanted to inspire faith in others, but he was a man who loved his daughter, and he wanted a guy who would be willing to go fight the giants to be the husband of his daughter. You know what? A lot of you guys think that us dads don't want our daughters to marry anybody. And that's kind of true. But let me say this, while some of you may not believe it. It's not that we as fathers don't want to see our daughters married. We don't want to see them married to anybody less than God's highest. I've been praying for my daughter's husband for 18 years. Since my daughter was born. And I'm looking forward to meeting him in about 10 years. <laughs> I can't wait to meet him. Uh, but you know what? I want nothing less than God's highest. Amen? And this is the heart of Caleb. You want to be married? Now, understand, marrying Caleb's daughter would be a big deal because he's the prince of Judah in a sense. He's the, he's the guy. He's the main guy in the tribe. You marry his daughter, that's a big deal. And he says, you want to marry my daughter? You've got to be willing to go fight the giants. You've got to be willing to go in and trust Almighty God. I want to see how much faith you have. I don't care how affluent you are. I don't care how good looking you are. How much faith do you have? And are you willing to step out and do this for my daughter? You know, in the Bible, you see guys doing a lot of things patiently for the woman God has for them. Working 14 years for Rachel. Amen? But if it's God's woman, she's worth it. 
If it's the woman God has for you, she's worth it. Wait. Don't try to close the deal. Again, a young man who is easily scared off or who won't honor a father's wishes is not the man God has for you, ladies. If he won't listen to what your dad says, he's not God's man for, your, for you, period. And the guys are going to have a real tough time with me. I'm just shooting straight. I tell my daughter all the time, whoever marries you is going to have to love you a lot. Because I'm putting that guy through it. Now, in love. In love. But the first time I meet him, we're going to have testimony. How do you know Christ? Tell me about your spiritual gift. How do you know what God called you to do? There it is. You can't answer those questions? Go study and come back. Just get on down the road. Told my daughter first day of high school, I love you enough to have you be mad at me for the next four years if that's what it takes. And you know what? As, as, as a, a man of God, a godly man, you'll be willing to honor the Father's wishes. You'll wait as long as it takes, and you will put your faith in the Lord to overcome any obstacle. Lord, I'm going to wait. I'm going to pray. Change his mind about me. Lord, I'm going to wait, I'm going to pray, I'm going to go fight the giants, and I trust that you'll bring the victory. And if somebody else gets there first, that wasn't the woman you had for me. I don't have to close the deal, I just need to rest in you. Amen? You've heard me say it before, God caused a deep sleep to fall over Adam and brought him his wife. He did not give him a bow and arrow and say, hunt her down. Amen? (laughs) Too often guys think, i got to go out and close the deal quickly. And here we see this example of the exact opposite. Just, if this is really my daughter, you want to be her husband, if you're God's man, then God's hand will be upon you when you go fight the enemy. I'm going to pray, Lord, if he's the man, give him victory. If he's not, (laughs) make those book guys really strong, right? You know what I mean? But Lord, I don't want any less than God's highest for my daughter. Now, gals, if he won't wait, if he won't heed your dad's counsel, then he's not the man for you. And I know that's contrary to what the world says today. But do we go by the world or we go by the word? Do we go by God's example or the world's example? If he wants to go behind your father's back, if he pressures you to move forward, if he tries to close the deal, he's not God's man. Marrying Caleb's daughter, the chief prince of Judah, would be a great honor, but it would require great faith to go up and fight the enemy. Now look at the man who ends up doing it. So Othniel, the son of Canaz, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, as wife. Othniel would end up being his nephew. Okay, in those days, it wasn't as odd for people who were cl- fairly closely related to get married. And so this was his nephew. But what I love about this is this guy's name, you know what his name means? You've got to love the Bible. His name means Lion of God. I want my daughter to marry Lion of God. I like this guy. And what's interesting about this guy, he would later become the first of all the judges. Judges 1 verse 8, it names the judges. Who's the first one named? This guy. Later on, he's going to fight, there's a They're being oppressed by the Mesopotamians. They go to war against them. Guess who leads the battle? This guy. Where did he learn to be this man? From his father-in-law. He learned it by going up and fighting against the enemy and having faith in God and getting to watch God work so when the next trial came, he was ready. So guess what? Part of what's going on in the whole courtship is preparation for you to be a godly man after you're married. A godly woman after you're married. Learning submission to your father that you might submit to your husband. Learning to wait upon the Lord that you might be patient in your marriage as you wait upon it as well. This ruler of Israel, delivering them from foreign kings, he learned this training from heeding the words of his father-in-law. What's Caleb doing at Debir? He's busy raising up the next generation of leaders and he's being a discipler. How do you disciple people? One, you've got to share your challenges. As I said before, if you do it all yourself, no one else gets a chance to grow. If you keep all the hard assignments, how is anybody else going to learn to do it? But not only share the challenges, you need to share the rewards too. Amen? What was his reward for faithfulness? He got to marry Aksa. Guess what? She must have been a babe. That's all I can say. You know why? The guy went! (laughs) People say, how do you know Potiphar's wife was pretty? Because he snatched the coat out. He left his coat and ran. If she was ugly, he would have just give me my coat. <laughs> if, it's tempt- if it's a temptation, you got to run, right? She must have been something worth fighting for because he fought for her, amen? 
And he said, you know, she's worth it. Whatever I have to do, I'll do it. And you know what? He became a godly man. Caleb loved her. And he gave her the things that she asked. We're going to see in a few verses. And we might learn again that the reward is ultimately worth it. If you will do things God's way, it's always worth it. It's not always easy, but it's always worth it. Amen? To do things God's way. Verse 18. Now it was so when she came to him, that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she comes to Othniel and says, go ask my father for some land. So he comes to him and asks for land. So she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, what do you wish? He's speaking to his daughter. And she says, give me a blessing since you have given the land in the south. Give me also springs of water. So the same boldness, the same as Caleb asked Joshua for what God had promised him, his daughter has learned the very same thing, to come and say, give, you know, in a kind and a loving way, in a, in a merciful way, Lord, give me the water that we will need. Father, give me the water that we're going to need. Now this is a picture of us praying to our Heavenly Father. The land was dry. If they didn't have any water, there would be no fruit. This is a picture to me of us praying that God baptize us in the Holy Spirit, that we might bring fruit to this dry and barren land. Amen? In the Word of God, water is a picture of the Word or the Holy Spirit. And so she comes and asks for water. What does her dad do? The Bible says if your child comes and asks you for an egg, you don't give him a scorpion, right? So what does this father give his daughter? She asks for a spring. What does he do? So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. This is what dads do. Dads love their kids. His daughter comes and says, Thank you, Father, for the land. We need water so that we can make the land fruitful. And he says, okay, sweetheart, I'm going to give you double what you've asked for. Because she came by faith. She didn't demand it. She asked it. She learned that from her dad going to Joshua and asking for the land of the giants. She grew up in a house where she saw her dad interceding and asking, and she learned to ask. If you want your kids to pray, you pray. Pray with your kids. Amen? Let them see you praying. Let them see you desperate for God and trusting in the Lord if you want to have kids who are desperate for God and trusting in the Lord as well. He loved his daughter. He wanted to bless her. And so too, our Heavenly Father loves us and wants to bless us. Now, last portion, verses 20 to 63. A lot of times you get to these lists in your daily Bible reading and you go, right? (laughs) Got my Bible reading down real quick today, you right? praying through the Bible. I want to encourage you. We're not going to be able to have time to really go in depth like I would like to on this. We can study the next six months on this list right here. We're not going to do that. I'm going to point a few things out to you, but I want to encourage you with something. If it's in the Bible, it's in there for a reason. Some of you guys were here. We talked about the way they marched through the wilderness. You guys remember that? And you read this long list, and they marched this way, and they were south by southwest, and they put the poles, and, and, you, and you sit there and think, what in the world is this in the Bible for? Why in the world? They're giving us, you know, it looked like instructions for putting together a, a 10-speed bike or something. It's all these instructions. And it gives you a headache. But those of you who are here, we went step by step, and when we were all done, what were they marching in? The shape of what? Of the cross. You look at these examples and you think, why is this in the Bible? As they were marching through the wilderness, the Holy of Holies is at the center, and the way that the tribes were allotted and the way that they marched was the cross marching through the wilderness. So when Almighty God looked down upon His people, He saw them in the shape of the cross. Man, that's awesome. Guess what? If we don't dig into God's Word, we miss stuff like that. Amen? So when you see stuff and you're tempted to just glance over it, don't do that. Now, we don't have time to really go as in-depth as I'd like, but I'm going to point out a few things in these cities and tribes of Judah. Like a list of gifts from God that were available to them, sadly they would not get them all. And sadly, the same is true of us. And we're going to see listed these different cities. Some of them are going to recognize. Remember that when you read these cities, they belong to Judah. All they had to do was obey God and they were theirs. It's also interesting that there's one city that's not even listed that's in Judah that's pretty significant. Bethlehem. Bethlehem was so small and so insignificant, it's not even mentioned here. That's where our Savior was born. Amen? Powerful stuff. Now, we're first going to see the cities to the south, the cities in the lowland, the cities in the highland, and then lastly, those in the desert. And again, we'll go fairly quickly through this. 
This is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Judah according to their families. The cities of the limits of the tribe of the children of Judah toward the border of Edom in the south were Kabzeel, Eber, and Jager. Now, Edom again is the land of Esau. So just outside of the land of promise was the guy who gave up his inheritance for a bowl of soup. May we learn to not give up what is eternal in trade for that which is temporal. Amen? Our flesh will lie to us, won't it? Your stomach will say, I'm hungry. I'll trade anything for food. Okay. You know, the enemy will do that all day. And so often we're the same thing with fleshly and lustly things where we think, I'll give up anything to get that promotion. I'll give up anything to be with that guy or that girl. I'll give up anything. And we don't realize how heavy the consequences are on the other side. Remember that sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. God forbids it because He knows it will bring you harm and He loves you. Amen? And so learning to trust that, Edom missed out because he was more worried about his stomach than his inheritance. In verse, I'm going to just kind of go through these. There it says, Kabzeel, that's the land of a man by the name of Benaiah. You'll see him in 2 Samuel. Benaiah was the guy that was out slaying lions. You've got to like a guy who will slay lions. Verse 23, you see the word Kadesh. That is Kadesh Barnea, where the spies originally entered in. In verse 24, you see the city of Ziph. What happened in Ziph? That's where David hid from Saul. You guys remember that? These are all cities you're going to see in the Bible, all in the area of Judah. Also in verse 24, you see the city Telem, where Saul gathered his armies to battle the Amalekites. This is in, later in, in the in the text where he's going to gather up his armies to go out and fight the Amalekites. Going down to verse 28. Beersheba. You guys heard of Beersheba before? It's the southernmost border. If you had the map was up there, you don't need to put it up. The very southernmost border of Israel is Beersheba. You go to Israel, they talk about everything from Dan to Beersheba. Dan is the northernmost exposure. Beersheba is the southernmost. It's the very, very southern tip, all the way down there at the bottom. Now, Beersheba means... The place of the well. And this is the place where all the patriarchs spent much of their time. It was a place of renewal, refreshment, and rest. And it dwelt in the land of Judah. Down in verse 31, Ziklag. You guys remember that story. When David was fleeing from King Saul, he tried to hide out from the Philistines. And he became buddies with one of the Philistine lords, a guy by the name of Achish. And Achish gave David the city of Ziklag. How in the world did the Philistine give David Ziklag when it already belonged to Judah? See, that's what happens when we study the Bible. We find out they never should have had the land to begin with. How did the Philistines get it? Because the children of Israel were not faithful and obedient to the Lord. Later, David would rescue the inhabitants of that city, but it never should have been in the hand of the Philistines at all. You get to verses 33 through 47, we see the cities in the lowland. In verse 33, it talks about Eshtoal and Zorah. That's where uh, Samson's buried. Okay, so Samson, even though he's from the tribe of Dan, this is where he was buried. In verse 35, Soka and Azekah. If you guys are Old Testament Bible students, that is where 1 Samuel 17 takes place. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, David and Goliath. The Philistines are mounted up between those two cities, have all their guys at the Valley of Elah, and it's right there where that great battle takes place. And here's David of the tribe of Judah fighting against them, and we see them chasing them. He's chasing them through the land of Judah. They're running away after he wipes out Goliath. Again, this was land that belonged to Judah, and partially, again, the reason why David could have such great faith. God had already promised the land to them. Lachish and Eglon in verse 39, those are some of the royal cities that we saw mentioned a few weeks ago. Verse 41, Beth, Dagon. Beth in the Bible means house. So Dagon, who's Dagon? He's a god, a false god of the Philistines. So Beth, Dagon means house of the false god, house of Dagon. And I love that story because remember when the Philistines captured the ark and they put the ark in the same place with Dagon, and they come in the next day, and what happened to Dagon? He fell over. It was like worshiping the ark, right? <laughs> so then they pushed Dagon back up, and they came back in the next day, and Dagon had fallen over again and broken into pieces. 
Because Dagon can't stand up next to Almighty God. Amen? And instead of saying, we should start worshiping the true and living God, they said, send the ark back. Give it back to him. Because Dagon's dead now, right? Our God fell down, so give him the ark back. I'm glad our God can't fall down. Amen? I'm glad we don't serve a God that can break into small pieces. It's not good. Verse 44 says there in verse 44, Keilah, that's the city David saved from the hands of the Philistines in 1 Samuel. Verse 47 speaks of the great sea. That great sea is the Mediterranean. Now moving on to those in the highlands. Those in the highlands, the hill country of Judea. Verse 49, those are the cities in tonight's text. Kirjath-Sana, which is Debir, right? That was the city that he said, you go up and capture it and I'll give you my daughter. Okay? Those are, again, all belonged to the tribe of Judah. Verse 51. I don't want you to be confused here. It says Goshen. Now, this is a different Goshen in the land of Canaan. Because there's another Goshen. Where is it? It's in Egypt. It's where they dwelt in Egypt. But now they have a land of Goshen in Canaan. You get down to verse 54 and you get Kerjath Arba, which is Hebron. Kerjath Arba means the city of the four giants. Hebron means fellowship. And this is the place where Caleb went in and won his battle. Verse 55, Maon. This is a dwelling place of Nabal the Carmelite. Who is that guy? Who's his wife? Who remembers? Bonus, oh, in the back, Abigail. You remember Nabal? He went out and didn't want to cut David any slack. Remember that? And David was trying to be kind to him and just pass by and ask for some provisions. And Nabal's like, you're not getting nothing. Get out of here. And David wanted to just break him off, right? You remember that? David was like, really? Do you have any idea who you're messing with? Okay. And then Abigail comes out. Remember this? And intercedes and said, you know, this is a paraphrase. Yeah, my husband's a jerk, but here's the stuff, okay? Don't kill him. That's pretty much what happens. Well, Nabal, what happens to Nabal? He dies. And Abigail ends up marrying David. Right? Okay? So that's where, Maon is where Nabal was from. Boy, that guy didn't, that guy wasn't tracking at all, man. He missed out. All right, verse 58. And then it says there, Beth Zor. This is where, there's a story. Remember Philip? He's, all of a sudden, he's running alongside a chariot. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading, and he's trying to understand. I wish somebody could explain this to me. And all of a sudden, Philip is running alongside the chariot. I mean, you know, God gave him a burst of speed. I could use that. But, you know, he comes busting up alongside there, and he says, are you wondering what that means? I can tell you. <laughs> Dude, slow down. So he, gets, he explains it to him, and he baptizes him right there. You talk about getting saved real good, as my dad would say. He got saved, and he got baptized a minute later right there, and guess where it was? Beth Zor. Now, these are all cities you're going to see throughout the Bible. And, again, I'd love to spend, you know, I'd love to go through each one of them and talk about them, but... You might be looking for a new pastor next week or shoot me or something. So, Now, in verse 61, or 62, excuse me, it says there, the city of salt and En Gedi. You guys remember the story of En Gedi? Let me tell you something. Those of you going to Israel with us in two months, this is one of the most beautiful places on this planet, and it is in the midst of the driest place in the world. The Dead Sea is so dead and so dry, you can't even describe it. And then in the middle of it, there's this oasis called En Gedi. And you walk up this hill and all of a sudden you get down there and there's this beautiful spot with this waterfall flowing into it. And that was the very place where David was hiding from Saul and he's in the cave. And remember, Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself, vulnerable position. And his guys are all like, God's given him to us, let's go kill him. And remember, David wouldn't kill him and David went out and cut a piece of his robe. Remember that story? And then he showed him the piece of his robe and he was grieved that he'd even touched the robe of Saul. That happened in En Gedi. Again, a part of Judah. In this land that had been given to them. This should have been the place, the refuge for David and it ended up being a refuge for David. Now, last verse. As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Now this is sad. Because had God given them this land, what's the answer? Yes. But they could not drive them out. Now it doesn't tell us why. But I want to say this. This is the most important part of the land. This is Jerusalem, where the temple's going to be built. 
This is Jerusalem where Jesus is one day going to minister. This is Jerusalem where Jesus would one day be crucified, and yet they could not, this is the one spot they couldn't overtake. And I believe he doesn't tell us why, because it's a key for all of us that we need to remain desperate for God in every aspect of life. That we can never become to the point where we just think we got it all nailed. I got it figured out, I've been doing it on my own. We'll just take care of this last place by ourselves. If you try to do it in your flesh, you'll never have victory. Judah captured the city and set it on fire. We'll see that in Judges. But guess what? The Jebusites were not driven out because they were protected by the stronghold of Zion. Now it's interesting, the one place that they couldn't defeat, the one people they couldn't drive out, were hiding in a stronghold. And there's those strongholds in our life, that one area where we continue to struggle even after we've been saved for 20 years. Anybody can relate to that? Lord, I've given my life to you, but why is this one area? And that's how it was for the tribe of Judah. A mighty, seemingly impenetrable fortress that they could not bring down. It's interesting, in the days of David in 2 Samuel, it talks about, David talks about going in and wiping out the land and how, how he could overcome the stronghold. And David eventually does defeat them and overcome that stronghold. You know what you needed? You needed a giant killer. I think if Caleb had been there, he probably would have won sooner. Amen? It's men of great faith that overcome the great strongholds. Amen? If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you are desperate for God, if you understand the greatness of your God, no stronghold is so great for you to overcome. David shows up. He'd already wiped out Goliath. He knew how great God was, and he wiped out the Jebusites, and overthrew this great stronghold. God wants us to do the same thing in our lives, you guys. We should not have pet sin that we become comfortable with. Ever. Are we going to continue to sin till we die? What's the answer? Yes. yes, we are. But as Christians, we will not be sinless, sinless, but we should sin less. Amen? And we should be grieved by our sin. And we should not allow sin to be built up into a stronghold in our lives and just say, well, that's just part of who I am. I can't help it. You can't help it, but God can change it. Amen? And we need to learn to have, understand the greatness of our God and not to try to battle things according to the flesh, but in the power of, of the Spirit. Again, it took a giant killer to bring it down. So in closing, a godly inheritance for the next generation. We saw the boundaries of Judah, all that God had for them. May I encourage you, pray and say, Lord, what all do you have for me? May I not be happy with anything less than your highest in my life. May I not be the two and a half tribes camping outside. May I not be the tribe of Judah who wipes out most of the enemy but cannot overcome the stronghold. Lord, I give you all of my life completely. And be not just say it in word, but be like Caleb who's willing to go up and fight the giants for real. I'll do it, Lord, because I know that you're greater. We saw Caleb's great faith inspires faith in others. May we be disciples. May we be giving things away, even the challenges, but also the rewards that others might grow in their faith. You know, the Bible tells us in 3 John verse 4, I know no greater truth, I know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. There's nothing in the world I want more than to give my faith to my kids. Amen? To see them walking with God. But that means we need to let them go through some challenges sometimes too so that they might grow. Amen? If we always protect and shelter them from everything, they'll never have a chance to see God work. And then lastly, the cities and tribes and villages within their inheritance, they were all available by faith. I so desperately want to see Santa Cruz turn right side up for Jesus. How about you? Above, man, I'm so desperate to see God work here. And it's got to start with us saying, you know what? This might be a stronghold from the world's perspective. And, you know, maybe even this is Satan's backyard. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen? Amen. And Satan's a defeated foe, and these people need Jesus, and that's why you and I are here. It's not to hide our light under a bushel, but to be salt and light so Santa Cruz can be Holy Cross, which is what the name means. Amen? A city set apart unto the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. And we thank you for the examples that we see in your word. Men like Caleb. Men who are sinners saved by grace like we are. Men are saved by their faith in the, the God for them that was to come and for us the one who has come. And Lord, I pray that we too would have the desire to finish strong, 
that we'd be passing on our faith to the next generation. Lord, that we would trust you in every aspect of our lives. Father, we pray for those who have strongholds, areas of their life that have just held on to them for year after year after year. Lord, I pray that by trusting in the faith and the greatness of who you are as our God, that you'd bring those strongholds down in our lives, Lord. Struggling with drugs or alcohol or pornography or gambling, whatever it is, Lord. Bring the strongholds down in our lives, Lord. Pride, anger, bitterness, foul language coming out of our mouths, Lord. I pray that, Lord, you would break us of those things, Lord, as we put our faith in you. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. You're a great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.